0: Good morning and welcome to Subject ACT, talking about Canberra's local current affairs. I'm Doug Dobing with co-presenter Emily Jones. Welcome Emily. Good morning. Today we talk about domestic violence, it's everybody's business. Domestic and family violence is a leading cause of death and injury for women under the age of 45. More than one woman dies each week, murdered by their current or former partner. It is a serious and complex issue that not only impacts the person subjected to domestic and family violence, but also their family, workplace and community. Domestic violence campaigner Rosie Beatty last year said, Australia has made great progress, but considered domestic violence still at epidemic levels. To help us understand more about domestic violence, what is it, the impact of domestic violence and what can be done. We have joining us in the studio, Chief Executive Officer from the Domestic Violence Crisis Service, Mariana Wilson. Welcome, Mariana. Thank you, Doug. Mariana, what has brought domestic violence from behind closed doors to become a topic that is more openly discussed?
1: Okay, thank you, Doug. I I think it's been really interesting to be currently working in the the sector of domestic violence. So our organisation has been providing services to the ACT community for almost 30 years. And we have, I guess, largely described some of that work as working in the shadows. And in 2014, there was a horrific incident, I guess, that one of many in in various decades that have happened, but this one in particular seemed to resonate with the Australian public, where in 2014, Rosie Batty's son was murdered by his father, very openly on a sporting ground. That then sort of, I guess, in, in her grief, propelled her into trying to make sense of what had happened, challenge some of the systems, um, systemic failures, but also bring this, this issue out. We then had a situation where, um, you know, she was rewarded for some of the work that she was doing by becoming Australian of the Year in 2015 on, on Australia Day in January. And then our own community ended up having a series of, of four of our community members were lost to us in a series of, three, of six weeks um, through domestic and family violence. And I think that propelled particularly this community into a, a sense of, of shock, into a sense of, wow, like what is this domestic and family violence? How is it that, that four of our community members whose lives have been taken so early Where did things go wrong? What was going on for them? And I think the conversation started being thrust out into the mainstream. So those of us that have been working in domestic violence for decades suddenly went, oh, no, our work is now out there. So despite all the work that we had already been doing, the countless number of people subjected to violence, mainly women and children, that have been receiving our support, suddenly we were out there having to do things like this, speak on radio, be on television, do um, sort of media interviews, speak to ministers more more
0: openly around some of the issues that, that have been confronting us by bringing domestic and family violence issues to the public forum, how has that increased the demand for your services?
1: Oh, Hugely. And and I think this is always a really interesting one and where I guess government tries to make some sense because we have absolutely exponentially increased the demand on all of our services in the last couple of years to the point where it's 60 to 75% more than it was two and a half years ago. And I think governments try to make sense of that and go, but is there more domestic violence out there? And we sort of say, well, we're not really sure about that bit of it, but we certainly know that more people are reporting. And so what that mainstream conversation has allowed people to do is to have a better understanding of perhaps what constitutes domestic violence, that perhaps what they're living with is also DV because there's something about the stories that are now out there that resonates with their situation. They're suddenly more aware of the support services. It's not this taboo topic, this unpalatable thing where people, you know, you're standing at a, at a social function and people go, what do you do? You know, what, what sort of line of work do you do? And you say you work in, you know, in the area of domestic violence. And it used to be a conversation stopper. Now yeah. it's actually a conversation starter. So suddenly we have this awareness but with awareness comes a responsibility to be able to respond, and that is our ongoing challenge is that we have increased demand on on our services. We have a lot of services that are quite stretched in our system. We do have commitment from government um, locally and nationally around this issue and there certainly has been an injection of of funds particularly into the ACT. but how do we sustain that once domestic violence is no longer the is no longer the the hot social issue topic you know of, of the day?
0: How would you describe domestic violence?
1: I think traditionally we have described domestic violence as, um, uh, I, I guess, a series of, of of physical assaults, property damage, sexual violence, stalking and harassment, um, which is kind of a, um, how would I describe it, a very incident-based way of describing it. What we do know and where the conversation has to shift um, into the mainstream is that it's a patterned a patterned type of violence and there's things called coercive control so yes there is physical violence and sexual assaults that occur in property damage and the stalking and the harassment but we also have significant psychological abuse and we have social isolation and we have people being economically abused and we have people being religiously abused or prevented from you know, practicing certain beliefs or we have members of our LGBTIQ community who are outed mm-hmm. um, and those sorts of things. So it crosses into a whole pile of areas that perhaps we haven't traditionally considered. But what it is, is that it's not a series of one off incidents. It's a pattern of behavior that goes on and is present in some form whether it's it's physical violence being used on on that day or whether it's a a, whether it's you know significant verbal and psychological abuse and it's usually those those behaviors together that make up that pattern rather than it being this one-off physical violence um, incident and i think because that's a very narrow lens of looking Mm -hmm. at it so we have to get a little bit more nuanced as to how we describe it and certainly we did a a, a death review um, here in the ACT um, twelve months ago where we looked at the deaths that had occurred in the ACT over over the last decade, not the current ones that are before the courts but the ones that had been settled and What we significantly found in almost all of those cases was that the the level of coercive control and patterned behavior Um, of of domestic violence more broadly as opposed to significant levels of physical violence and in fact in a significant numbers of those deaths the only act of physical violence was the last act of physical violence which ended up taking the life of, of of that particular person so it's a really complex area to understand and I think that's our challenge now so for people that are sitting there going is that me for for us what we say is is if you're feeling not safe, if you're feeling like the person that you are living with is mm-hmm. behaving towards you in a way that makes you feel fearful of them, regardless of whether they're using physical violence to do that or whether they're using words to do that or whether they're backing you into a corner, if they, regardless of the tactics or the techniques that they're using, if you're not feeling safe with the person that you're living with, give us a call and we can talk through what that might mean for you and how do, we, how do we work best with that
0: person to support
1: their, you know, sort of promote their safety.
0: You're saying that it's a narrow lens to just focus only on the physical aspects of domestic violence as there are wider issues including the emotional, psychological, financial and even social engagement. So safety is an indicator for you to help people understand that something is not right there. That's right and mm. safety means different
1: things to different people and different people have different thresholds and it depends on how long you've been living with within this situation as to what you're willing to i guess in some ways have come to accept because you're either fearful that it's not going to be any different um, or you feel quite trapped by your situation. So I think it's it, it comes back to that heart of that thing of it's actually everyone's business and it's everyone's problem. And I think one of the things that you said when you spoke at the beginning was about the fact that it impacts everybody. It impacts workplaces. Mm-hmm. You know, it impacts the GP when a person presents for a whole a range of issues such as, you know, anxiety, depression, or they're just not feeling physically or medically right. But, you know, where is the responsibility of the medical practitioner to have a broader conversation about what else might be going on in that person's life that might be leading to mm-hmm. the anxiety or the depression or other things that are going on? So it's kind of everyone's business. And it's, that's why it's so important that how we identify and how we understand what people are living with and how we then deal with their disclosures um,
0: is not just the business of those of us that work in the domestic mm-hmm. violence mm-hmm. sector. So, in effect, it's not only the person subjected to violence. Who else is affected by domestic violence? For a
1: start, there's the children. Mm. I think mm. the children have been the, um, the, the, the ones that have kind of, uh, in years gone by, and been a little bit lost in this conversation. Mm. Um, I think for a long time we thought they weren't impacted. Um, particularly if they weren't at home at the time of a physical incident, or if they didn't happen to see what had happened, um, what had occurred. But we now know that there are significant impacts to children, and these impacts can go on for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And that that needs a specialist type of work and interventions with with kids around, you know, what they've been through, and how do we how do we assist them on some form of well, not only safety but healing journey if mm-hmm. there's some stability. And it absolutely impacts on the person using that violence. I mean, one of the things we've learned over the last three decades of doing our work is that the majority of of um, people that use violence don't decide to wake up one day and make, you know, make their family lives miserable and have these hopes that that people are going to be fearful of them. So there's a lot of work to be done in terms of understanding, um, and, and, you know, men, and it is predominantly men that are mm. using um, this type of gendered violence within intimate partner relationships, is understanding, you know, w- what's going on for them and what support do they actually need to try and and work towards, a, a, I guess, putting them or assisting them to be on a different pathway mm. in their mm. lives. Um, so I think what where we've come to is that a lot of the work needs to be done with all members of the family. So there's the family unit, but then that spills into impacting those family members, the direct family members and friends of those that are subjected, those that are using the violence, um, their workplaces, and then into into the community and society generally. It's for such a long time had been, I guess, a social issue, a crime that was behind closed doors, and now those doors are open. Mm, mm. And we need to, well, one, we need to address it, um, but but in getting people to come forward to seek that assistance, we need to be there to support them through that because I think, you know, I think I've said this before in, in, in other interviews, my biggest fear is that we invite the national conversation, we invite the local conversation, we get nuanced, we get understanding, we put programs and services in place, then we can't meet the demand and then what are we doing? Here to, you know, I, I, I worry about... Um, the failure to meet the expectations of community members mm-hmm. when services when the service system does get
0: stretched. You are dealing with people in crisis every day. How do you and other frontline staff keep yourself well with, when working with people in crisis all the time?
1: So there's working with crisis, then we're working with very traumatised people and very vulnerable people. And people come in and out of crisis. So sometimes we're also working with people where there is a period of, of stability um, in some of our other programs keeping our, our number one asset is our staff mm. our staff and their capacities to do this work we have to look out for one another and there has to be extensive processes in place to ensure that that, that our staff are okay um, it isn't easy to confront um, I guess what what some people can describe as, as very challenging behavior and and we don't see people at their best. Mm. Um, it's a a privilege to be invited into people's lives when they are this traumatised and this vulnerable and I think that privilege is what keeps a a lot of us going because many of us don't wake up and go to work and feel privileged to be... Um, yes. To be doing it, so we have a workforce made up of people that are incredibly um, passionate and committed to the work that they do, but they do need to be looked after. And many of our um, our staff meetings, our our supervision sessions are about
0: how are we doing in the work. You are listening to Subject ACT on Two Double X FM ninety eight point three. We are talking today with CEO from the Domestic Violence Crisis Service, Miriana Wilson, about what is domestic violence and what we can do about it. Miriana has just talked about domestic violence incidences over the past few years, combined with campaigning and increased political and media attention that has raised awareness about domestic violence. This has brought domestic violence from behind closed doors to now be a topic that people are more comfortable to talk about and seek assistance. And this has also resulted in a greater demand for domestic and family violence services. Mariana, over the Christmas New Year period, there was a surge in demand for domestic violence crisis services like crisis counselling and accommodation. Can you tell us more about this demand?
1: So our, I guess our peak period, I think a lot of people think that it happens, um, you know, that it doesn't start until sort of Christmas Eve and then kind of dissipates sort of um, after the new year, when in actual reality, our peak period probably starts in, in November and goes all the way through to February. So those sort of encapsulates those summer months is where most of the domestic violence services and nationally as well as locally um, experience this surge in demand. There's a whole pile of pressures on people around that period and around that time of year. There's some significant expectations that people have around what families could be doing, (laughs) should be doing, what they should be engaging in. Um, There's the pressure to get together with perhaps with family members that you otherwise um, may not during the year. There's an increase in alcohol usage. There's an increase on the demands on expectations around Christmas presents and what that might mean Mm -hmm. and how do you manage your finances. There's a whole arrangement around particularly family law matters. So if the family has already split, it's what are the custody arrangements, what are the care arrangements over the Christmas period of time Mm there's so many pressure points that that leads to that period of time being um i, I guess a time where people go here we go again mm-hmm. and and that and that's feeling that sense that it should be one way but it's actually not there's also a number of of people that we work with that get to the end of each year and go i'm still here i'm stuck mm-hmm. Um, and it can be the impetus to get out. So at that point, we often see the surge of people going, I've been living with this for yet another year. I don't think I can do it for another year. I know that this is a particularly stressful time over these summer months, over Christmas. I need to get out. Mm. So there's all of these little pressure points that happen
0: around this period of time. So, And as you said before, domestic violence often is a patterned mm. um, Behavior so in that cycle of of violence there's that phase of intimacy mm. um, with with the partner but then it goes to that moment of violence and aggression so it's it, it's a bit like unexpected is it like for someone ex- being subjected to violence what is that world like?
1: Interestingly enough, um, most people that that live with violence can actually identify that pattern mm. and that cycle and i think when you look at when people reach out for support some people will reach out at the point where there's something it, it's really bad and there's been a significant incident of physical violence police may be involved and that's where we become involved but there's also a significant number of people who actually make contact because they know that's where it's heading so they they have recognized and lived in this cycle for a significant period of time and they know that the tension is building the verbal abuse is increasing. The psychological abuse is increasing. There's, there's, it's, it's feeling tense. There's walking on eggshells. Um, there's threats being thrown around. There's intimidation tactics being thrown around, and they know that probably what what will diffuse that or will will um, where that will lead may very well be an incident of physical violence, which may or may not lead to police being called, which then leads to a depending on whether there is a criminal justice system intervention or or, or what decisions people make, but there often can then be a, a settling period after that and there can be a period of remorse again. And then what we describe as a honeymoon phase where there's a bit of minimizing of what's gone on, there's a little bit of um, that it wasn't really as bad as all that no I don't need the support services anymore and the police should never have arrested them and <laughs> you know people go to court and they revoke their orders so and then we spin into the tension builds again and and we go around like that and that cycle I guess is is sometimes what keeps people safe yeah. I know that sounds a little bit mad but it's it's people knowing the predictability of how that cycle operates
0: so they know the triggers they know and they the know tri- when to back off or not provoke and when to perhaps mm-hmm.
1: seek assistance what we do know that over time that cycle can actually um change in 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 frequency and and the escalation of the violence can also change mm. so where you find uh, um, people really seeking lots of support is where the periods of time between Sort of the honeymoon phase and that build-up phase starts to to shorten, mm. and people are finding themselves um, in a period where day-to-day living is 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 fearful and, and you know they're walking on eggshells.
0: And it's a, it's an easy um, look. It's probably an easy comment we've heard by people is, why don't they leave? Mm. Um, why isn't it as easy for someone just to walk up and go and leave? Uh, as, a, as a domestic violence situation
1: well we've had um, significant numbers um, of, of, of those questions asked over the years thankfully some of that's diminished and I think some of that is our, um, our, our broader conversation that we're having where people are developing an understanding that to just pack up and leave the number one reason is actually you're probably not necessarily always going to be safer Mm. because one of the things that we know about people that have left who have you know whose lives have been taken um did that at the point of leaving not at the point of staying so i think um there has to be a safety um consideration and the increased risk to people's safety when they decide that um that they've got to that point where leaving is the only option um there's a whole pile of other factors. People have children together. People love their partner. They just don't like. They just don't want the violence. They, mm-hmm. you know, they want the relationship. They don't want the violence. Um, there's a whole um, series of financial consideration and that enmeshment of of that. So there's a number number of steps that people take mm-hmm. um, and considerations that they need to give before they go. I can't do this anymore. I need to leave. And I think when people are at that point where leaving seems to be the safer option, then we have to really work with them around. How do we how do we work with them around keeping them as safe as possible? Mm. Just following on from that, what are some of the services that domestic violence crisis service provides? Okay, so we um, we originally started off um, three decades ago as as essentially very much a crisis service, which involved a twenty four seven phone line where people could call and access support um, sort of every day of the week. And we actually opened up on the twenty sixth of of, um, of April, so Anzac Day. It'll be thirty years next year. Um, so that was and and people were calling, um, I guess, for options um, assistance around what you know what what legal options might be accessible to them and then also our work with police which is is probably a bit of our um, I guess has always been what we've been really known for is is when um, ACT policing a call to a domestic and family violence incident there's a wording working protocol and as a part of the broader family violence intervention program here in the ACT we're notified of of where they are, are going and they offer the services of DVCS to all members of the household. Um, and if that offer is taken up, then we come in and complement the work that police do, and 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 support people with whatever they need to do. So so that sort of crisis intervention was um, the core work of our organisation yeah. for mm. for two decades. In the last decade, we've we've I guess looked at and listened to our clients who've said, but we need more. And so that more has meant um, being able to provide um, staff out at the AC Magistrates Court where we work alongside um, legal aid and assisting people to um, apply for protection orders or domestic violence orders, as they're known here in the ACT. And so we assist them with both understanding that process, filling in paperwork, going into courtrooms with them, um, and I guess being an, an advocate um, when when they're sort of um, struggling to tell their story Mm. It's not an easy thing to walk into a courtroom and face a magistrate for and sure. say, I mm. need this order because I'm I'm fearful for my safety. So we, I guess, provide that, that sort of safety net there and that mm. broader advocacy. We also assist people with um, uh, providing evidence for criminal matters. Mm. So we do a lot of that legal advocacy work. We also have um, uh, sort of uh, specialist uh, workers that work with children and young people. And um, so that's sort of where there's a period of stability. So more of a of a of a healing type program and reconnecting back in with community. And we run a series of support groups for women and children. And our most recent program, which we'll be opening doors on on first of April, is is working with men who use violence um, and and controlling mm. behaviours. And at the same time that we're working with him, we're assisting the women and the children.
0: So it's on the two sides of yes. of the, if you want to say the, the yeah. situation. Yeah. Now, Miryana, we are running out of time. It, it's amazing how um, a conversation like this time can go so quickly. Um, just to as we close, if someone was if someone was aware of say a friend or a co-worker was experiencing um, being subject to domestic violence or someone that is listening that um, is saying something's not right in my relationship how can they contact the domestic violence crisis service
1: the easiest and quickest way to contact us is at any time of the day or night six to eight hundred nine hundred give us a call it, there's no silly questions. There's no, um, you don't have to be in absolute crisis at that point to access our services. You just need to say, I'm
0: not sure I need to talk to someone about what's going on for me in my relationship. That was CEO of Domestic Violence Crisis Service in Canberra, Mariana Wilson, talking about domestic violence. What is it and how we can reduce it? Mariana, thank you for joining us on Subject ACT. Thanks, Doug. My pleasure. And also thank you to co-presenter Emily Jones. Thank you. Domestic violence is a community problem. It's everybody's business. It's not just the person subjected to domestic and family violence that is affected. It's also their family, workplace and community. You can contact the Domestic Violence Crisis Service 24-Hour Crisis Line on 62800900. The Domestic Violence Crisis Service supports all people subjected to violence or abuse. You can also go to their website for more information at dvcs.org.au. Thank you for tuning in to xxfm and listening to Subject ACT for Canberra's local current affairs and news. I'm Doug Dobing. Have a great day.